Hey friends, you're listening to episode three of From Anxious to Able. And I know we just started this podcast, but I'm already getting super vulnerable with you. Um, You're going to have to bear with me. I cry in this episode. I stumble on my words and all the things. This is my son's birth story. It's the most intense experience I've ever been in in my entire life. And reliving it definitely put me in a very vulnerable position. The story was quite long, so I decided to split it into two parts. So you're currently listening to part one of You're Not Crazy, You're Just a Mom. Okay, can I just get like five more minutes? Hey, babe. Okay, okay, I'm coming. And you're listening to From Anxious to Able. All right, guys, so I have a question for you. (laughs) Have you ever had a weird feeling that you don't know? You don't know where it came from and you don't know exactly what it is and you just know that you know what you know and you don't know how you know it but you just do and normally it's in relation to your babies and have you ever had this feeling and vocalized that feeling and gotten shut down by others maybe you got shut down so hard that you actually turned that feeling off Have you ever not listened to that feeling and found that the outcome was either what you feared it might be or um, was something that, you know, you felt like you could have maybe um, stopped or, or changed if you had listened to that voice? Have you ever listened to that voice beyond all of the you know, the voices around you telling you that you're crazy or that that's ridiculous or anything. Have you ever listened to that voice and found that it was exactly what you needed to do? Have you ever listened to that voice and found that maybe it wasn't exactly what you needed to do? Um, I feel like all of these are really wonderful, you know, lessons in our world and, um, In this episode, I really wanted to kind of just tell a few of my stories on those very, very clear experiences that I've had and what it looked like when I followed my intuition and what it looked like when I didn't. Because I have definitely had people tell me I'm crazy. I've definitely had people tell me that I am putting my family in danger. I'm putting my baby in danger with the choices that I'm making. And it can be very difficult in those moments to figure out or establish, am I I responding to this out of fear? Or am I responding that responding to this out of a true knowing or am I responding to this out of the need to be right now because I had a feeling at one point and even though maybe that feeling has changed I now feel like I have to follow through with this thing because I need to prove everyone around me wrong so I kind of just want to get into the stories and maybe hopefully we can kind of break down how to tell the difference between intuition and fear or the need to be right and how important it is that we that we follow those those voices. So, I guess I have to start this off by telling 
Atlas's birth story because this is where I very first felt the feeling of I know what I know and everyone around me doesn't seem to know what I know. And it's not that I'm right and they're wrong, but in regards to, you know, my own relationship with this baby inside of me that I am, you know, doing everything in my power to make sure that I am staying open and clear and centered to hear what my, you know, what my next move should be or whatever. Um, there were times where I had to, you know, go against people, not go against, but, um, I just had to listen to my heart. I just had to shut out everyone around me and listen to my heart, even though the people around me are amazing people and I love them and they're also intuitive beings. So there was definitely a lot of moments in my, in, in my journey of being pregnant and, and Alice's birth where I really struggled because I was facing, um, a lot of different, you know, opinions about my choices. So anyway, let's get, let's get to it. I found out I was pregnant, um, on July 4th of 2018 and I was, you know, I was going to have a natural birth, of course, because my whole family did that. Um, everyone in my family has had a natural birth except for, um, one niece who had to have an emergency C-section because she was breech. And I, you know, that was already, I always knew I was going to do that. You know, I was going to have a midwife, maybe have it, you know, have my baby in a birthing center or at home, you know, either way I was going to go through that route. And about three months into my pregnancy, I came across a podcast called the Free Birth Society. And this was as I was like, honestly, I was just listening to all kinds of birthing podcasts because I really wanted to just listen to birth stories, even though my midwife was like, don't do that. That'll scare you. Like, I don't know why it fueled me because what I was learning was that, I mean, all of these people who had such different experiences, some were in labor for forever, some were in labor for 45 minutes. Um, you know, some had C-sections, some, you know, just, you know, complications or, you know, some people had their baby just like in the middle of the forest with their dog and nobody was there because they were in a snowstorm, just whatever. Um, and just really for me, it was just confirmation that, you know, the baby's going to (laughs) come, whether you're prepared for it or not, whether, you know, whether you're in the hospital or not, whether you're in a, you know, wherever you are, the baby's going to come when the baby's ready to come. Anyway, I came across this free birth society and the stories were, a lot of mothers who decided to birth their child um, without, basically unassisted, so without any medical assistance. And the reason that they did, there were, there were many different reasons, there were many stories I listened to, but um, the reason that a lot of them did was because they had very traumatic experiences either with a midwife or at the hospital. And a lot of them did it because the midwife licensing now. So I'm all about traditional midwifery. Um, but the thing is, is that midwives, you're not really going to find a traditional midwife that isn't licensed because people want midwives to be licensed. So they go through, you know, the protocol to get their, their midwifery license. But what happens is then now they have to follow a rule book 
And now they can't really operate as a traditional midwife where normally a traditional midwife could deliver in a lot of different ways in a lot of different circumstances. Now they have to operate, um, based off, you know, certain laws. Um, the, the baby has to be born within a certain, you know, certain amount of weeks gestation. If it's before or after, they have to be transformed, transferred to the hospital. If the baby is breech um, with the first baby, if you have twins. Or, I mean, there's so many different reasons as to why um, midwives would have to transfer you to the hospital. And I was like really looking into this. And at the time, you know, I was, I was just interested. You know, I thought this was a really cool thing. I was listening to story after story after story of people who had done this and, um, who had done, had a baby with basically either just their partner or maybe a partner and like their, you know, somebody else like a doula or something like that. Um, which for me, ideally I would have wanted at my birth to have, um, you know, like a traditional midwife, something of that sort. But there was a lot when I thought about having um, a baby, I just literally couldn't see anyone else there but my closest people. Like when I just sat and meditated on having this baby, it was like my midwife was not there. Um, nobody was there that I didn't know. And what was happening was as I was going, so I, I had picked a midwife and she was lovely and she ended up coming, you know, she ended up being like very, very helpful to my entire circumstance. Um, but what happened was as I was going to my appointments, which personally I felt were absolutely kind of useless, like besides maybe, um, you know, I, I liked being able to get the strap B test and, and things like that. But Honestly, I just felt like, what am I doing here? You know, I'm, I'm paying a lot of money and I know a lot already about prenatal care. Um, I, I know how to listen to my body, you know, and I'm just like, I just felt like it was, you know, I didn't want to do all the sonograms. I didn't want to do all of the, um, you know, like checking the heart rate and things like that. So I was doing a few, but I definitely was missing a lot of my appointments and, I, as I was going to the appointments, the midwife had said to me that there was another midwife that was going to start working with her. And, um, basically at any point in time that I go into labor, I could have this person that I have never met before. Okay. <laughs> so free birthing and unassisted, like having an unassisted birth was in my mind from the very beginning, like from three month mark, whenever I started listening to stories of people doing that. It was in the back of my mind, but I kept shutting it down. I kept shutting it down because I knew this is Corey's first baby. Hasn't ever really even been around babies before. You know, like I've been to many births and things like this. So like I, I knew what the body was capable of doing and I really didn't have a lot of fear around it. My, the most of like the majority of the reasons that I didn't speak up about wanting to have an unassisted birth was I didn't want to make other people around me uncomfortable and I didn't want to make other people around me responsible for you know, cause if you're going to have an unassisted birth, you're going to have to come to terms with, um, you know, all of the possibilities, even though a baby could die or you could die in any circumstance, whether you're in the hospital or in a midwife center or at home, wherever you are, that is a possibility. Um, you know, obviously you have to come to terms 
to terms with, there is no one else to blame. There's no one to blame. So for me, that was something I was able to do. And I completely understand that that sounds really crazy to a lot of people and that's okay. Um, this, I, I can't explain how deeply I knew that this was the right path for me. Um, when I finally, when I finally was able to look at it and get beyond my own need to make people feel comfortable. When I finally realized that this birthing experiences or this birth experiences was, was my birth experience to have. And I should absolutely speak up about what it is that I want and how I want it to look. And it took me a long time to do that. I was just kind of like following the you know, the, the path that had already been paved for me. And, um, you know, everybody was really comfortable with that and stuff, but inside every time I went to an appointment, I was sick to my stomach. I did not want to be there. And it wasn't that the midwife was not so lovely. I mean, she is so lovely. I would call her a friend now. Um, it just felt like so unnecessary. And at the time of like when I was pregnant and, and I'm not even saying that I would ever do this again, or it's all baby to baby is, is how I would, what I would say. Um, but when I was pregnant, I really felt like I needed to stay home. Um, I didn't really want to go out very much. I was not, I, I mean, obviously I had, um, you know, certain body image things and all of that comes up. And I think that comes up for a lot of people who experience pregnancy for the first time, but mostly I, really just wanted to be with the baby. Like I can't explain it. I just, I know that you guys out there who have been pregnant before probably can resonate with this, but I loved like meditating was so easy. I've never, it's never been as easy for me to meditate as it was when I was pregnant to just close my eyes. I could immediate, immediately connect to the baby. I mean, just immediately. I didn't want to know the gender, but I found out the gender because I knew that, um, you know, everybody was really excited to find out and Corey's side of the family was, you know, this was their first baby and they really wanted to know and they were just, you know, they were so excited. So that was one thing that I, you know, I compromised on or whatever, which I honestly don't recommend. I think that you shouldn't have to compromise at all with your birth and your pregnancy and your experience. That's just how I feel now. But there are certain things and it was a learning, you know, a learning experience for me. So yeah, I compromised. I found out the gender, but Every time I closed my eyes, the gender was not a concern for me. I didn't care. <laughs> like I just felt baby and I can't, it's just baby, you know, and, and that, that, that bond, it was amazing and so beautiful. And I still feel that now in a whole different way, but now he's outside of me, you know? Um, but yeah, so I, I would meditate a lot on, um, on it, on, on the baby and on the birth and I just kept seeing it this certain way and I didn't know how to talk about it. And eventually, whenever the midwife brought up that there's another midwife and it was, it was kind of coming up closer to my birth at this point. And she said that there was another midwife who was coming to work, you know, like I said, and, and she could be a potentially someone who delivered my baby. And I had never met her. And that was like, okay, strike one, not strike one to her, but just for me that this was just a sign that this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, cause definitely for sure, I do not want someone that I don't know in my space because I know, I know how, um, just my, 
my innate sense is to make people comfortable and to worry about other people, to worry about how they're feeling. Like that's my, you know, that's like kind of my fallback. That's what I unconsciously do personality wise. I didn't want someone in my space that I was constantly going to be feeling there and thinking about that they're there and, you know, not feel completely 100% able to just be you know, like roaring and an animal. Cause that's what I wanted to do guys. When I say that I just wanted to be alone with Atlas and with Corey, like I just wanted to be in the forest and just like silent. Like I was so happy there. And that is not how I operate on the daily. I mean, that was just the experience I was having when I was pregnant. And, um, so yeah, that, that kind of, that kind of leaked into my image of my birth because I really didn't want people there that were going to take my attention off of, the birth experience and being able to let that animal out because I knew it was going to be like a ceremony for me. And I knew that I wanted to give myself complete 1000% space to do that. So then we started, um, we started the birthing course or whatever. And we did that because Corey wanted to, you know, we, we were going to take it cause Corey needed to take it as well. And, and, um, you know, he, he wanted to know a few things <laughs> and, um, but it was very interesting. So at this point I had mentioned to Corey that I wanted to do a free birth. I had mentioned it a few times, just the thought of it. And he was like, and I, you know, and I kind of would, I wasn't really saying this is what I want to do, but I would just kind of kept saying like, Oh, this is really cool. Maybe we could do this one day, blah, 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 blah. Just kind of like, bringing it in, bringing it in. Eventually I did say, I think this is what I want to do. And at first, I think, which probably most reactions might be like this. Um, he was like, are you crazy? <laughs> like I've never even been around a baby being delivered before. Like that's a lot of pressure. Like he felt it was a lot of pressure on him. So, okay. So I kind of shut that down. I did understand that could you know, be a lot of pressure on people. Then we went to the birthing, birthing course together. We went to one class and I literally was like, my legs were just shaking in the class. You know, when you're just somewhere that you just don't want to be, and you know, you are wasting every second of your time right now. And you're just like, this is so fucking stupid. And Corey just kept looking at me and, you know, the, the class was, you know, it was fine. It was just like, you know, drink three cups of milk a day and blah, blah, blah. Like this whole, you know, what your diet should be and all of this. And all of that just felt so forced, like so forced. I'm like, this is something that has been going on since the beginning of human species. Like, how is it that everything, you know, it's just whatever. Okay. So we leave and we're sitting in the car and Corey's like, we're not going back to that class. Like you obviously did not feel comfortable in there. He's like, I see what you're saying now because the information that they were, they were talking about was all stuff that I had, you know, already talked with Corey about, or, you know, we've already established kind of like our rhythm and, um, things like that. So then he really started being open to the idea of a free birth. And we started kind of listening to some free birth stories and all the things. And um, I had decided at that point, that's what I'm going to do. Maybe I'm not going to tell anybody about it. <laughs> but uh, like I, I even went to a few more midwife appointments. I mentioned to my midwife that was an idea that I had 
Um, she wasn't super keen on the idea, obviously. No midwife probably would be. Um, so she did come at me with a lot of questions, you know, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. And um, I had to, you know, sit with all of that. <laughs> then I decided, okay, maybe this isn't something I should really talk about with people. So I didn't honestly, it's like, I knew that's what I wanted to do, but I hadn't really vocalized it, This was around like six months of pregnancy. Okay. So I hadn't really super vocalized besides with Corey, that that was something I really wanted to do. So it was just kind of there in the air. Like, I think this is what I'm going to do. Um, like when the baby comes, when the time of the baby comes basically like, you know, I'm just going to lock myself in the bathroom. No. Uh, <laughs> and people are going to listen to this and they're going to think I'm crazy. And I understand for a minute and for quite a few different minutes, I thought I was crazy, guys. This is not something I would normally think to do. This is not something, especially as it did come out. So let's just get to that, I guess. Um, so I started talking about the idea with my sisters and with my family, um, and they they were li- you know like they listened about it. My family's pretty open minded. They, um, you know they they're pretty they're pretty hippie. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'd say hippie, but they're just very open minded. And um, at one point, I you know was talking to to one of my sisters about just you know, how much anxiety I feel every time I have to go to an, to an appointment and it just doesn't feel right to me. Like I can't explain it. And she was like, well, if it doesn't feel right, then just stop going. Like if this is really what you want to do, if every cell in your body is saying this, then okay, like do that. So I decided that's what I'm doing, you know? And I started making a list of everything I was going to need. I took an online birthing course, um, from the free birth society and, uh, which I forget what it's called right now, but I can link it. But, um, yeah, so I started taking the course and everything was good. You know, I never really talked about it with people after that. I, you know, I told my midwife, this is what I'm doing. She wasn't really on board, but she said she'd still do my blood work at the very end to make sure I didn't have strep B and things like that. And, um, yeah. And I, I definitely, I felt free. I felt free immediately when I decided that was what I was going to do. And I realized that the fear wasn't having an unassisted birth. The fear was making other people uncomfortable. The fear was um, just, you know, all of these people. I didn't want that fear to impact my birth then. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's just better. I'm very, very, very um, in tuned with my own energy and I, that might sound woo woo or whatever, but, um, I'm very aware of, of how people feel around me. And I think that this is one thing that, you know, you people kind of learn so that they can kind of shape shift and, you know, learn how to get along with pretty much anybody. Like I, I feel like I can pretty much get along with most people. I can step into a room and kind of fill it out, you know, and I'm, I'm, I've been that way for the majority of my life, uh, um, a kind of like a comfort maker, I guess I'm a cancer. So I make people feel at home. So the thought of making people feel uncomfortable with my decision made me sick to my stomach. And it was something that I had to really, really work on and really meditate on and really get clear about because this was a huge decision to make for me. And I did not want my own fear of making people uncomfortable um, get in the way of what I felt really, really was the right decision. 
So I finally was able to just say, no, this is what I'm doing. And I, and I, you know, I butted heads with the midwife for a little while and I butted heads with Corey for a little while and yada, yada. But every time I know I'd get a little sick to my stomach, I think maybe I'm a little crazy. Maybe, you know, like maybe this is really stupid, blah, blah, blah. And I would just sit and I would just meditate like legit close my eyes and imagine my birth and every time I imagined the actual birth like I had zero fear zero I'm like no everything is going to be fine everything is going to be fine this is how I, I, I couldn't describe it was just almost like I felt like that's what baby moon wanted okay and it was just so not in a lot, like it, it just wasn't in alignment, you know, with, with the way that I normally would operate. So it was a huge thing for me to, to overcome this and to really make this decision. When I finally did, it was just this like, <gasps> like weight has lifted. This is what I'm going to do. My mom was very on board with it. She's, you know, and I, I also had to kind of, um, you know, my mom was, a um, she worked with a lot of midwives throughout her years. She was kind of like a doula. And then she was actually a labor and delivery nurse for many years. And so she'd been to many, many labors. At the same time, I'm her daughter. And I didn't want to put her in a space of responsibility. So that was a huge conversation that we needed to have, right? Was that you are not here to be my midwife. You're here to just be my mom and bring me coconut water, you know? And so I wanted her at my birth. And um, my mom's very good in those types of situations. And it was all good, you know, and then my, my family about three weeks before, um, I, my due date, which was actually about a week before my actual, like before I actually went into labor, my family had a little bit of an, um, intervention and they sat me down and, you know, they asked me a lot of questions and they were there was a lot of, of fear in the room, a lot of just skepticism. I wouldn't say, you know, like there was just a lot of skepticism. Like, are you sure you can do this? Um, you know, are, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense. Like you should just have a midwife and just have them in the other room in case something goes wrong. If the baby dies, you have to realize that that's going to be on you. There's no one to blame. You know, that, that was a huge, huge conversation. And I had to stand amongst the people that I loved the most and respected the most and always am normally able to hear. And I heard everything they said and I took it in and it just sat at the pit of my stomach. And I just said, guys, I cannot explain this. I cannot. <laughs> like, But I just know that this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, I just know. And Corey like really had my back. And, and I want to preface this with guys, with my sister's are very intuitive. So that night when I went home and I was like, okay, why are they bringing this up now? Maybe they know that something I don't know, you know, is something wrong. And like, I just sat there and I just, oh my God, it was, I just cried and cried and cried and I was just belting over and I was like trying to keep myself from crying. So I was like, I don't want to, you know, this fear to harm the baby, blah, blah, blah. And Corey was like, Mickey, like, it's gonna be okay. Like you, I like, you are not like, you've done everything you possibly can do to make sure that you are present and centered and grounded for this baby and listening to what it is that you're supposed to be doing. 
if you feel in your core that this is what you need to do, then this is what you got to do. And like we, I'm like, he's like, I have your back 100% and it's going to be okay. And honestly, guys, that is not an easy thing for someone to say who has never even been into a delivery, has never even been around babies who like, you know, but just vocalized a few months ago that he doesn't want to lose me. He doesn't want me, you know, all of these things. And he felt by that time, he felt really good about it. He felt really clear. I mean, we didn't go in there blinded guys. We really, we like were really, really prepared, which you don't really need a lot to be prepared, but we, we prepared the best that we can. We did a lot of, um, just emotional work together and all of the things anyway, Despite all of the emotional work, it is never easy to have the people you love the most tell you that you are making an insane choice. And also people that you know are very intuitive. You know, some people it's really easy to shut those things down, but other people it could be really hard, especially when you really trust their opinion and you really like look up to them. So that was very hard for me. I I mean, like I was sick to my stomach and, um, and I, I just cried and I cried and I cried and I did it again and I meditated on this. Am I making the right choice? Am I, you know, and, um, I gave myself like just a few days of complete silence. Like I literally didn't talk to anybody and I was really open to what they were saying. I was not like, oh no, I've decided I'm doing this. And you know, like I was feeling everything that they were saying and I saw it and I understood. And I knew that from an observer point that this was insane to do. And I also knew in my core that we've been doing this from the beginning and that this baby's gonna come no matter what. And that I am going to be in a much safer space mentally and emotionally if I am around, like if I'm, first of all, if I'm surrounded by mostly silence, really dim lighting, like I knew exactly what I needed to really show up for this labor and for this birth. I knew what I needed. And yeah, so I gave myself a few days. I kept getting that, like that sensation and it wasn't like I wanted to prove you wrong. It wasn't um, like I felt for my family. I felt that. I felt that they didn't want me to do this. And, um, but I, I just like had that sensation. I just kept sitting there like, okay, like, okay, I'll do this. I will do this. And, um, so then I, you know, my sisters were going to be there and we decided that, that maybe that was best that if they, you know, they decided on their own that it was best that they aren't there. And I was really okay with that at that point. I, I, I really didn't mind. Um, I knew that they, they, and it wasn't that they, um, you know, they were angry about it or anything like that really they had just needed to ask me all the questions and it was like, okay, this is what they're going to, she's going to do. I don't think I can be there without putting my, you know, own ideas and, and energy onto a space like that. So I'm not going to be there, which guys is a very, very noble move. Okay. It is so noble and is so important that if you do not have the right space um, or the right energy to be in the midst of somebody's birth and have no attachment to the outcome and have like, you know, and just 
be there without like being emotionally involved in what's going on, then it is a very noble move to say, I should not be there. Even if it's something you really want to do. Um, so yeah, a week later, I, it was the super full moon in February. It was like February 18th or 19th, 18th. And I was just kind of driving down the road or, and then like heard or something, I like on a podcast or something. I don't know. I heard that it was the super full moon. And I was like, oh, I feel like he's going to come today. Even though it was like two weeks earlier than, you know, whatever the due date was supposed to be. Which at the time, honestly, guys, I didn't even pay attention to really how, how far along I was. I was not into any of that. When people asked me, I was just like, let me, I don't know. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I started, we started just like, we got like a last few couple things. And if you guys want me to do like more of a rundown on a free birth, you can let me know. But um, on like what it is that we had and, and that kind of thing. I'm not going to get into that. But anyway, I, I, I kind of got some last minute stuff. My mom came over and cleaned my house and we kind of got our bed all ready and the bath ready. because I wanted to have them in the water if possible. You know, I wasn't really attached to the outcome in that way. And um we like really made my bathroom a sanctuary though. And I just, oh, I loved it so much. Had my diffuser going in there, my Aria diffuser, which is so magical. And I had lights all hanging and dim and it was like ready. It had been ready for a while. And I ended up going into labor. So I started having contractions and that night of the full moon, my contractions got super, super close together. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this is happening really fast. <laughs> they were like three to five minutes apart. I wasn't, I, did, I never, I have to say too, I never counted like how really, how close my contractions were. Um, I, I just didn't really want a lot of that. Anyway, I just was really willing to go with the flow and just let this baby come when he wanted to come. I, I just wasn't attached to all of those things and I really worked hard to not be. So I got in the bath that night thinking, oh, this is it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, and the contractions kind of stopped. They like were now, you know, 10 or 15 minutes apart. And um, that next morning, my water broke. And then I did like a full 24 hours of contractions, like kind of back and forth. And they start speeding up and slowing down. And then the next morning, it had been 24 hours since my water was broken. And my mom just kind of said, you know, normally in the hospital, this is what would happen. You know, you'd want to, they would want to know like, at least where the, you know, where the baby is right now. And I was not worried about it, I have to say. But I was like ready to get out of the house because I had literally just been eating berries and drinking coconut water thinking that I was going to have this baby. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, let's just go maybe see the midwife if she's willing. And so we did, we drove, it was about a 30 minute drive to her center. She was super cool by this time, guys. By this time she'd come to terms with what I was doing. She just kind of, she didn't do like, she didn't check how dilated I was. She didn't use um, a Doppler or anything like that, that I, I don't think she used a Doppler. Um, no sonogram, nothing. I just wanted her to kind of palpate because I was having a hard time figuring out where the head was. And she was like, yeah, he's good. I mean, his head is down. Um, she's like, I wouldn't worry too much. I mean, you could go a pretty long time, you know, without having your water, I mean, with having your water broken. She's like, I'm, I know that they make a big deal about that, but it's really okay as long as you, you know, stay really clean down there and whatever. Um, I was like, okay, cool. You know, 
she's super cool. And I left. And I was craving meat, which is super weird for me because I never ate meat. I mean, for like two years prior to getting pregnant, I never ate meat. And I really didn't eat meat much throughout my pregnancy. But I just was craving it. And for some reason, just felt like I really needed it. So we went to like a local cafe here that has all grass-fed meats and things like that. I got a turkey sandwich and a burger. (laughs) And I chowed down. And then that night, I contract it so my mom and Corey P.S. were fucking fabulous I mean amazing they were exactly what I needed they were exactly what I imagined they always kept my diffuser going with helichrysum and frankincense they always kept the lights dim they kept fresh berries and coconut water and ice water with frankincense coming to me they kept essential oils on my lower back and on my neck they kept a cool rag I mean they were just on it my mom was a freaking goddess and uh Corey was just you know touched me when you know like put pressure on my back when I really needed it was really good about kind of seeing when I needed my own time and just leaving me alone which I really liked and um yeah so I just have to say that that was really, really amazing. And I, I just, it was the perfect scenario for me. And I felt so safe and so comfortable to just do me. And it was perfect. So, um, I labored that night by myself. I mean, and I was in like intense labor. I mean, this is when I was like, okay, I was getting to the point, which most people know at, at, in labor, when you get to that point where you're like, I cannot take this anymore. <laughs> like, ah. And I felt like Atlas was kind of on that journey with me. I hope I'm not being too loud on this microphone. Um, I felt like Atlas was kind of on that journey with me. And he is that's why he kind of like slowed down because I'd get really tired from being in contractions all night. Like, I just felt like we were just flowing together. I just, oh, it was amazing. I loved birth, which is wild. But, um, so yeah, I contracted. I was like on a chair and my, and Corey was, you know, asleep on the bed and I was on a chair and I would kind of like, you know, just jump up like a lion and kind of squat and just kind of like do this little like swirling with my hips, you know, and go through the contractions. And then when I could, I'd sit back on the chair and just kind of lay down for a minute and then jump back up and like do my little lion thing, you know, I, it was awesome. Then that morning it was like 7 a.m., And so just by now, I'm in labor for like 60 hours at this point, which by the way, pretty much no one would let you be in labor that long. Um, Yeah, like hospitals, I don't even, they wouldn't even let you have your water broke for 24 hours um, just because there's this time constraints. So I really just loved and appreciated that there was no rush. Like I could just have this experience and I knew that everything was good. It was okay. Like I could feel that. And, um, so yeah, so I, the next morning around 7am, like my mom woke up, came in, Corey woke up and it was like, Oh, it's go time. Like they knew it and I knew it. They got a bath running and they had just so many like little things around the bath, like all my little trinkets and candles burning. And I had my little, if by the way, PS, if you're going to do a home birth, everybody needs some knotted sheets hanging from their roof or from the ceiling, like right above their, their bathtub. It's absolute mess. It was the one thing, honestly, I could have done with, I didn't need anything else but that. So yeah, um, it was about like, I don't know. I was in the, I know I was in the bath for like three or four hours and he was born around like 11 AM. Okay. So 
he looks healthy. Everything's wonderful. Um, you know, I sit in the bathtub for him for, with a long with, with him for a long time, and I then transfer to the bed with him. The midwife. So the midwife, you know, like kind of asked Corey, you know, just keep her posted, blah, blah, blah. Like she was, she was cool. And, um, so when we said, you know, when we told her that the baby was born, she was like, oh, that's amazing. I would love to come meet him. Like she wanted to just do like a little checkup for us. And I was cool with it. Like I kind of wanted to know, you know, like the silly things at that point. I was like, we had had quite a few hours at that point of just us and, and uh, I honestly, I was cool with it, but I don't know if I would do it again. I mean, I don't think it was super necessary, but it also kind of was because we needed that information from her to get the birth certificate. So when you're, if you're going to have an unassisted birth, which you know, that's your own agenda, um, you want to make sure that you got to check all your boxes with getting the birth certificate because it can be kind of tricky. So just make sure that in your state, you know, you, you're prepared for all the different things. Like you have to have certain proofs of your pregnancy and that people were there and all the things. So that was helpful that she had come that day. And, um, so she came and she did all of his vitals. He looked wonderful. Everything was good. I had torn in a couple places, very, very mild tears. And, um, I was exhausted, so exhausted. And, uh, so yeah, after, so at that point when the midwife had come, because he was born like 11, she had come around like, I want to say like, I don't know, maybe like four or something. And he had spit up like a tiny bit of green fluid. And I kind of had like this little, if I think back, I had like a little bit of like this like nervous, like what the fuck was that moment? But then was like, I'm probably just extremely exhausted. My adrenals are really weak. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I just had a baby and I've been up for 64 hours. So, um, so we didn't think anything of it. We had mentioned it to the midwife. She didn't think anything of it. We were thinking like, you know, maybe there was like a meconium block, meconium, meconium, is that how you say it? Block or something in there that he was just getting out. Um, cause he did have a little bit of fluid in his lungs when he was first born. So then we just kind of continued our evening hanging out and breastfeeding and just having this time with him that, you know, with what happened afterwards, which I'm about to get into, it was everything that we needed. I mean, when it gets down to like how it was that he was able to recover from um, the hospital visit that happened next it was pretty freaking miraculous and something that they never really had seen before. And I contributed to the fact that we were able to get a really good 12 hours of just nursing and connecting and chest to chest and just love, 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 like all of the love. So around 11 o'clock that night, he started spitting up some pretty intense green fluid. And I know, and my mom she was just like, you know, okay, this could be nothing. Like it could just be like a little block in there that he's trying to get out. But it, if not, it could be something very serious. So we thought maybe like a malrotation of his intestines or something like that, which is very serious. And um, I did, guys, man, just imagine. I fought so hard to avoid the medical system. And I put so much energy into that. 
and I just spent 64 hours in labor and finally have my baby in my arms and I'm looking at the situation and I know that something's not right but still there's just a glimpse of like no maybe you know maybe everything's gonna be okay (laughs) maybe everything's fine maybe it's just nothing hopefully it's just nothing you know But I knew that I was so exhausted and that I wasn't really in a space to like, like totally determine, you know, what to do now. And, um, I decided, okay, let's go to the emergency room and get an x-ray of his intestines. That's what I wanted. I wanted an x-ray of his intestines. I wanted to see if he had a malrotation. So here we are, we go into this, the ER (laughs) And I'm in this giant red cape, okay? So I have, like, maybe some sweatpants on. You know, I had just fucking had a baby. And I'm, like, walking into the ER. I have Atlas literally tucked in me in a uh, red cape because I do not want to be there with him. I do not want to subject him to anything that's in the ER. And... You know, the, the, I, we come up to the desk and the, I told the lady that we had a home birth and she just gave us, you know, that look of like, you're an idiot. It was immediate. It was like, okay. Um, then we got brought back there and everything was happening so fast. And we were in an ER at basically like 12 o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning. Um, and so I'm just like watching them. They bring him back or they bring an x-ray. They bring an x-ray into the room. They do an x-ray on him in the room. Then the nurses are like prepping his veins to try to take some blood. So they just kept prepping his veins for literally like 45 minutes. They could not find a vein. They never tried to stick him. They had like an, literally an adult sized needle, like a huge needle that they were going to try to stick him with. And then somebody was like, Oh, maybe we should try a different size. I'm like, yeah, maybe anyway, they were like harping hard. I mean, his, I mean, his veins were like literally threads because he had obviously was just born. And, um, So the doctor comes in and has the x-ray. He's like, well, we don't see a malrotation, but we see that he has some fluid in his lungs. We think he has pneumonia. We're going to do a full sepsis. We're going to do a spinal tap. We're going to just go ahead and give him a round of antibiotics right now. And we're just going to start doing all of these tests, right? So (laughs) there they are. They, they, now they have the, you know, the, And they're just saying this, like, okay, this is happening, blah, blah, blah. Then they have, um, you know, and the person who's doing this, who's literally about to stick my child is like, oh, I would never have kids. She literally said that. I would never have kids. So she, you know, put the rubber band around his arm and is literally about to stick him with this needle. And I just, something just roared inside of me. And I was like, stop what you're doing, please. Just give me a moment. Just let me wrap my head around what's going on. You guys are all moving extremely fast. I understand that this might be a critical situation. I, in my 
bones, I knew he didn't have pneumonia. Like that was a ridiculous thing. So for me, it was like, okay, well, he doesn't have a malrotation. He doesn't have pneumonia. That's fucking ridiculous. He's no fever. He has no symptoms. He was born with fluid. And as long as I knew he had some fluid, as long as they, they will, they will get that out naturally. So he, so I stop them. I get on the phone with my midwife. I get on the phone with my aunt. I talk to a lot of different people to kind of figure out what could this be? And do we have time to look for someone else? Basically, I don't feel comfortable here. They're making us feel like we're idiots. They're talking to us like we're children. The energy of the place was just wrong. And I wanted somebody who knew what they were doing with an infant. I mean, an infant, this tiny little thing that I love so much. And it just all felt so wrong. And so I talked to my aunt who, you know, was, um, in the medical field for a very long time and she's brilliant. And they were like, you, you know, if it is something in the test, in the intestines that they can't see, you probably do have time. You know, you have time to find somebody. You have at least 24 hours to find, you know, to wait and see, cause normally nobody would have caught what we caught up until at least 24 hours with him not having a stool. So we were like, okay, well, we can at least give it 24 hours because he has no, by the way, his vitals were amazing the entire time. Brilliant vitals. He never was like acting like he was in pain. He was, he was nursing fine. The only symptom that was that he was spitting up green, green fluid which we knew was something, but we also felt like we had time. Like I really had to dig deep in myself because I'm like, okay, what do I do here? So I told the nurse that I think we're going to leave and go find somebody who is a little bit more, you know, able to take care of uh, an infant with, uh, with ease because <laughs> this was, they were obviously struggling here. And I was like, I, I think we want a second opinion before we get into the spinal tap and all of those things like that doesn't feel right to me. And uh, yeah, so we're going to go and we're going to figure out a children's hospital nearby and take him there. So she's like, yeah, that's fine. Blah, blah, blah. She brings in a piece of paper and it's the AMA, which is against medical advice that I have to sign. Which, by the way, you do not have to sign. Legally, you don't have to sign it. You don't have to answer any of their questions. <laughs> so I signed the paper, you know, whatever. I didn't even think anything of it because they were so nice about it at first. And then, um, you know, I, I have my little red cape on. I put him back in my red cape. We're walking out the door. And this chick, she's a social worker. She comes flying in like a freaking spider monkey. I just can't even with this chick when I think about it. And guys, I'm all like, let people be who they are. Peace and love. I can handle a lot of ridiculousness, but just ugh, this lady. And I've also handled a lot of social workers because we ended up in the hospital for a long time with Atlas. So... She comes flying in. She has no idea about the situation. And she's just like, you're putting your baby in danger. He could die if you leave the hospital. She was guilt tripping me so fucking hard. And she was so mean. And she was shaking because it was like she was so excited about it. You know, it was like, yes, I have a role to play here. I'm going to save this baby. And 
which I get, guys. I get that that is their job and social workers are like, I mean, they see a lot of shit. Like I understand that, but I also have now worked with a lot of social workers and understand that the way that she came at that and the energy that she brought into that space was not okay and should not be happening. I mean, social workers can handle things very differently. Um, so she tries, she starts getting my information. I'm like so exhausted. I just start giving it to her. And then Corey's like, what are you doing? No, we're not going to give you our information. If you want to find us, you can find us. She was like, okay, well, you can be expecting a call from the CPS to ensure that you are going to another hospital. And we're like, yeah, fine. We're going to figure that out. We've been talking to a lot of people, have them call us. We will let them know which hospital we're going to go to. So... <laughs> At this point in time, it's like 1.30 in the morning, maybe 2 in the morning. I don't even know. We get home. We unpack our stuff in the car that we had packed up. Like, we brought it all inside. Um, at this point, you know, Baby Moon was doing really, really good. He hadn't even spit up since we went to the ER. Like, he had spit up right before it. <clears throat> like, a you know, a little, you know, kind of a lot, but not as much as it came to be. But, um, yeah, so at that point, we were like, okay, well, he hasn't sped up at all. Like, we have time. He's he's okay. And um, so we were like, you know, we, we started talking to people again to try to figure out the best medical hospital to go to. We had decided where it was that we were going to go. And um, we kind of just were like prepping everything for that because in, in, when we went to the ER the first time, we didn't really have anything we needed. So we started like really packing things because we just, you know, in case we were there for a while, um, which we ended up being. So we were preparing, you know, everything was okay. And it was like, I don't know, maybe 30 or 45 minutes after we got home, we hear a knock on the door and it's CPS and we open the door. He has no identification. It's just this man standing there in regular clothes with a regular car parked outside saying he's CPS at 3.30 in the morning. So Corey sent him off and was like, I don't know, man. I think you have the wrong address. Like, was just like really confused. And then he called the hospital to ensure that it was really CPS because it, it was really sketchy. And, um, and then he was like, okay, well, you guys told us they were going to be giving us a call and not that they were just going to show up at our house. Like, it's fine. You can send them back. And who he was talking to on the phone was the same social worker. And she was like, well, maybe if you weren't putting your child in so much danger, we wouldn't have to do this. But since you're so irresponsible, I mean, she was intense. She was so intense. And you can still, I mean, only imagine at this point in time, I had been awake for... I don't know, like 74, no, longer than that, like 78 hours or something crazy. I was delusionally tired, but also just like so nervous and just like all the feelings and this lady was making me so sick to my stomach. And um, I really wanted to find a place that felt good. And um, so then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there, I'm kind of drifting to sleep with the baby and the chair up against the window that, that is facing our, our, the front of our house. So I'm drifting to sleep and he's nursing, like everything is good. And all of a sudden, as I'm like closing my eyes to fall asleep, my mom says, oh, fuck. 
Okay, guys, I have to pause there because this episode is so good and juicy, but it's a long one. So make sure you stay tuned for episode three, part two of You're Not Crazy, You're Just a Mom.